from Psalm 77. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to the Lord, to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn me, spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the people of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. All right, well, um, good morning. Uh, good to see you all. Well, um, as you probably guessed, uh, Peter, as Peter read, we're going to be looking at Psalm 77 today, I'm calling the sermon Remembering the Deeds of the Lord. And actually, let's just pray to begin. God, thank you, Lord, for your grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Thank you for a new year. Thank you that um, even as the Bible talks about looking past and seeing how your faithfulness has brought us thus far, even as Amazing Grace uh, says in that song we sang earlier, that you, your grace has brought us thus far, God. I, we thank you for bringing us this far. And through whatever 2011 had for us, God, you're faithful. And uh, you brought us a certain, a certain way. And so we see your goodness and your love in that. Uh, bless our year. Bless our, bless our day today. We pray that... Psalm 77 would be edifying that you would speak to us and show us the gospel through it and remind us uh, of your good deeds and your works in the world uh, that you're always doing, but that we so often forget. So uh, forgive us our sin, bless us, may, may it be a learnful, encouraging uh, time, and that we'd be drawn up into your presence. So pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we are going to be in pastor's open mic mode for a while. If you're new to our church, welcome to Hiawatha Church, and we've actually been in a longer series in the book of Revelation for a while, which we break from. Uh, to do an Advent series, a Christmas Advent series, and actually kind of breaking from that now, uh, to do in a couple of open mic sermons. And for us at Hiawatha, this is a chance for the elders of our church to preach on whatever they want. So whoever the preacher is, they can speak on, on whatever they want. Um, for me, if you've been around for Hiawatha for a while, you know that I like to uh, preach a lot of things during these times, but especially preach psalms, because 
There are 150 psalms in the, in the Old Testament, and preaching those A to Z would be a little bit uh, a lot, I guess. And so, um, but these open mic times are a great opportunity to, to break and preach one at a time. So um, we're going to be doing that. And this psalm in particular, Psalm 77, actually happens to fit in pretty well with the Advent series we were just in because we talked a lot about hope and joy and contentment and how Christ brings that into the world through uh, the first Advent, through his birth, but especially through the cross, through the gospel. And so this uh, psalm talks about that too. It also kind of serves as an appropriate New Year-type exhortation for us because it talks a lot about remembering, which we uh, at times talk a lot about at year's end or year's beginning, remembering backwards how God has blessed us or just what happened in our life, that we might reflect on it, make changes, or just continue things that were going well or whatever. I'll talk about that here a little bit more in a bit too. But uh, to begin, just a couple of words on the Psalms um, that because it's usually about six months or so or a few months in between when we talk about these Psalms, I like to review some of this stuff. Um, Psalms are a great book. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with them, they are a series of songs. Psalms essentially means a song. Um, Poetry in the Old Testament, one of the wisdom genre books. There are five of them kind of stuck right in the middle of the Old Testament before the prophets. Um, But it's not uncommon for people, maybe who are uh, just peripherally familiar with the Bible, but to still be very familiar with the Psalms because of their accessibility. Uh, People can read a psalm and really empathize with the laments or the praises of the psalmists. And for a lot of people, there are sections of the Old Testament that, uh, probably for all of us, that are pretty hard to read, pretty hard to understand. But the Psalms are pretty accessible because we kind of empathize pretty quickly with I'm having a great season of life and I see God's grace in this area of my life or I'm really suffering. And the psalmists uh, express both in song to God. That's one of the purposes of the Psalms, to express the relationship between God and his people in song, essentially. One of the purposes. I'd say sort of the, the initial purpose or first purpose. But another even greater purpose to the Psalms, we've talked a lot about in the past here at Hiawatha, is to prophetically anticipate Jesus Christ and specifically his sufferings and other New Testament realities that surround the gospel, including our response to him and the gospel he brings into the world. I don't have this on screen, but in Luke 24, Jesus says the Psalms are essentially about me. Uh, they, are, um, they concern me. The whole Old Testament is. But the Psalms in particular, he highlights and says, he goes back with a couple of disciples after his resurrection, and he flips through it and says, they're concerning me. They're about me. If you take me away, the Old Testament disappears because I'm why they existed in the first place, the Old Testament scriptures. So everything's about me, including the Psalms. And for this reason, many throughout history have called the Psalms the songbook of Christ. They actually see in the songs uh, Christ's prayer or some kind of prophetic prediction of what he was going to do on the cross or maybe a prediction of the church and how they respond to God's grace and his deeds at work in the world, ultimately through his death and resurrection. So that's ultimately what we need to do with the Psalms is read them in light of the greater story of Scripture. We do that all the time. Whenever we preach or whenever you read Scripture, we should always do that with the Psalms as well. They're no exception. Read them in light of the greater narrative of the Bible and ask, how do they lead us to Jesus and thereby lead us to worship and thereby lead us to thanksgiving and thereby lead us to find hope in, in light of suffering? That's sort of the, the, the path we need to take when we uh, read the Psalms in this New Covenant, New Testament era, reading, a, reading Christ backwards into the former parts, which in turn anticipate him. So Psalm 77 is uh, no, no, um, no exception. And so let's, uh, Psalm 77, we'll do this today. So let's just dive right in. Uh, Psalm 77 can essentially be divided into two sections. You may have picked up on that when Peter was reading. Really neatly breaks down into two sections. There's a lament section. The guy's really suffering, and so he has a prayer. He's in despair. He's suffering. And the second section, the last uh, 10 or 11 verses, are a section of remembrance and a section of hope. So it's a huge shift there, and we'll get there here in a little bit. But first, 
Let's go back and look at this lament section, verses uh, 0 to 9. The psalm was written by Asaph, one of three musicians uh, that King David in the Old Testament appointed for worship, and he's the author of several psalms in the book of Psalms. And in short, he's suffering deeply. Psalm 77 depicts one of the, the greater forms of suffering or, or uh, situations of suffering in the whole of the book of Psalms. He's suffering deeply and writes this psalm out of that experience. So it's a prayer, uh, but he's suffering. Like many of us would pray in light of our suffering and ask God to relieve it or just to bring it to him, uh, this is what the psalmist is, is doing. So he begins the psalm with, I cry aloud to God. It's the first couple of words. I cry aloud or shout aloud to God, which tells us right off the bat that what this psalm is about, that he's suffering deeply. And the hope is, he's saying, he says right in verse 1, that he'll hear me, that God will hear me. So I'm going to cry out to God, and he will, he will hear me. But, he says, it quickly dissolves into despair, because he says in verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I remember God, I moan. In verse 4, it talks about how he can't even sleep. He's suffering so bad. He talks about how God is the one kind of keeping his eyes open. Kind of a poetic way to say, I can't even sleep at night. And then later in verse 4, he's so troubled, so it's kind of a progression here, he's so troubled that he can't even continue to pray because he can't speak. So he starts with prayer, but then he says, I can't even speak anymore uh, because my suffering is so bad and my despair is so dark. Then he considers his own former days when he wasn't going through this type of suffering. So in verses 5 and 6, after this he says, now I'm going to think back, remember the former days, I'm going to remember back to when I wasn't suffering so much and try to find some comfort there. Think about the pre-suffering days, when I wasn't suffering from this particular sickness or when these enemies weren't surrounding me or when I wasn't feeling so distant from God and when I wasn't oppressed by the sin, whatever the type of suffering is that Asaph is going through. Uh, he's thinking about those days. But, and so he just starts to think about his life when it wasn't so hard. But one of the keys here to this psalm, really important to understand this, the psalm kind of orbits around this principle. Let me see this break move into the remembrance section here in a little bit. And I'll come back to this too. But one of the things here you notice when you read this psalm, you just get despair and when he's initially praying to God, and when he moves into despair, but when he remembers his former days, when he wasn't suffering so much, one of the keys here to see in the psalm is, this is offering no comfort for him at all. And you totally get that in the psalm. As you progress through it, you see, when he's remembering his former days, when he wasn't suffering so much, when he's just in this general sense of recognizing there's a God and beginning to cry out for him, that's not offering him any comfort. There's, there's no solace here. The psalm doesn't end there. In other words, could have. Uh, some psalms end in a darker note, but this psalm keeps going. But at this point in the psalm, there is no comfort given. Just a questioning of God's faithfulness. So it continues in this section. He asks huge, heavy, loaded questions. Three big ones in verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, Will the Lord spurn, which means reject, forever? Will the Lord reject me forever? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Has God forgotten to be gracious? So his suffering, we don't know exactly what is the cause of suffering for Asaph, but we know because of these questions, because of how the psalm begins as well, because of what's going on, but because especially that his despair leads him to these types of questions. It was incredibly intense, incredibly intense. And it led him to even feel abandoned uh, by God. And these are questions about, from a guy that he's, he's an Israelite, uh, he's in the king's quarters, he's a musician. Um, these are likely questions from a guy that's not necessarily believing that God's grace is completely abandoned, completely left, his faithfulness is completely gone, but he feels as though it is. He feels as though it is. Think, really believing it is and feeling as though it is are different things. But it's likely that he's just questioning God's will or God's timing in this. He's not finding solace. 
or peace. And so he's, he's uh, quoting, or, uh, addressing God and questioning these types of things. But the big thing to get here is just intense, incredible suffering as a person of God, because he's addressing God. He's praying to him. Uh, so as a person of God, uh, in experiencing this incredible, intense suffering. So um, note, note a couple of things here then in this first section. Uh, first of all, there's really no clear lesson or example for us in these first several verses of Psalm 77, other than maybe just to say that God will hear you. Verse 1 affirms that. God, the, the psalm begins by saying, I cry aloud to God, I'm shouting to him, I'm suffering, and he will hear me. So it's affirming that. And that's good to affirm. Uh, that's affirmed all throughout Scripture, that God is a faithful God who never leaves us. And we need to remember that as well. That God is good, loving, and when we pray, he does actually hear. And actually, lately I've had, and we probably all have, these, have had these questions in our life, and I'll have it plenty of times, but I've actually had people ask me this question recently too in light of um, prayer and how much should we pray. When we, should we pray for the same thing over and over and over again? Do we bother God uh, when, we, when we pray? What's his, what's his kind of main characteristic or response to a person that prays over and over again, or maybe just one time? And my response to that person is that, yeah, you, sh- you should pray a lot. And God is there, and he's faithful. Actually, in the Gospels, Jesus depicts God as a lo- like the best dad who's ever lived, who also wants to give good gifts to his kids. That's what God is like. He's like, he's like many things. One of the way, things he's like is like a really loving father, who's not just a loving father, but a loving father who wants to give good gifts to his kids. And Jesus teaches that in light of prayer. And he says, if human, sinful, imperfect dads want to give presents to their kids, how much more will God? And so go to him. Ask him for things. Doesn't mean he'll always give it. He knows what's best. Like if my son asked me for something I know that would harm him or not be the best for him, I'd say no. It's the same with God. Or waits, at least. Um, It's going to be that way kind of intensified or amplified with God because he knows even more, right? Perfectly what we need and what we don't need. So his timing and his answer won't always be what we think, but he wants us to pray. He's a loving father. He loves to talk to us. And he's like a loving dad who gives us good, good, good presence and good things. So... But aside from that, that's one thing we can affirm as one kind of lesson or example here, a theological lesson, in the earlier part of the psalm. But really what we see, just in this first part of the psalm, really what we see here is a man who is deeply suffering, cries out to God, starts to question God's goodness, feels very distant from him, right? Very distant in the psalm, and thinks about the former days when he didn't suffer so much. Like a man who was dying from cancer, thinking and meditating on the days pre-cancer, thinking about how great life was. That's what this guy's doing, and that's what he's uh, pictured as, what he's saying himself as in the earlier parts of this psalm. But again, the key here is no comforts found at this point. No comfort, especially from that idea of thinking about your former days, uh, from, and even asking for the suffering to stop, uh, but especially thinking about your former days before you were suffering. No comfort, no solace, and no peace. But one of the big themes in Psalm 77, and I say this is the biggest reason why it's in the book of Psalms, and one of the biggest things we should get for it is, like I said before, the psalm doesn't end here. It keeps going. The question that it's posed implicitly is, where is comfort found then? Because this guy's not finding any at this point. Where is comfort found? There is an answer for this guy. There is an answer. The psalm provides it. And Asaph actually figures it out. There is a place for peace. There is a place of comfort. There's something that you should be thinking about, something you should be meditating on in your mind that will provide comfort in a way that nothing else so far that this guy has tried will. And that moves us into this second section, the hope and remembrance section of verses uh, 10 to 20. 
And it begins in verses 10 to 11. Let's read those again. He says, big shift here, huge shift in the psalm. It says in verse 10, Then I said, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. So what exactly are the deeds of the Lord? What are his works? He explains. He goes on and actually he starts in verse 13 by first mentioning his character and saying your way is holy. I'll remember the years, the infinite nature of the Lord God and what he's done in the past. So his faithfulness, his holiness, his perfection. But then he adds to that in verse 15 and says, With your arm, you with your arm redeemed your people. You with your outstretched arm redeemed your people. And he adds in verse 16, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. And then even more explicitly in verses 19 and 20, he says, Your ways was through the sea, your path through the great waters. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is what he's remembering. Now, what Old Testament biblical events is he remembering here? Non-rhetorical. What's he, what's he looking back at? The Exodus, right. He's looking back to the Exodus event, which would have been a couple hundred, about 300 years or so, three to 400 years after um, he's writing this, after that event. He's looking back to it and specifically remembering that saving event of old, when God miraculously, through signs and wonders, redeemed and saved Israel from slavery in Egypt and really exodus exodus just means to deliver, to bring up out of, exodus them out from Egypt, bringing them up out of their slavery into the, through the seas, through the waters, the parting of the Red Sea, they come through on dry land, into the desert, ultimately into the promised land. But especially the front part of that, that event, the being saved from Egyptian slavery, he's remembering that. And he's remembering how they came through the water, how they were saved from Pharaoh and their oppression. So for the psalmist, calling that to mind is what gave the psalmist hope. Notice the progression in the psalm. That's the answer. Calling that event to mind is what gave the psalmist hope and comfort. God saves. He's a God who sees me in my distress and he saves me. I'll appeal to this, to that event. I'll bring it to mind. I'll meditate on it. It's as if, um, and I'll quote D.A. Carson in some of his commentary on on this psalm. It's as if the psalmist said to himself, that's it. That's the way forward. Not prayer for circumstances to be changed, nor fretful recollection that the things are not what they used to be, but remembering the works of God and the God who performed the works. That's the key, that last line. But remembering the works, the deeds, the power, what God has done in the world, and the God himself who performed those works, what he's like, how much he loves us, how involved, how imminent or close he is to his people, what he's done in the world. So that's what's going on in the psalm. Despair to remembering the deeds of the Lord, specifically the Exodus event. But what we have to ask, of course, is, well, so what? Right? What in the world does that do with me? And like you ask about any passage of Scripture, when you get to application and applying the Word of God to your circumstance, we've got to ask it, especially here, with something that's very far removed from our uh, cultural context and also time-wise. What do we do with this? Biblically, theologically. When we start to talk about applying a psalm like Psalm 77 to our lives, in this New Testament era, on one level, just doing what the psalmist does is perfectly acceptable. Thinking about God's power, his love, just the fact that he saves, 
And even looking back to that first Exodus, it's in our Bibles, there for a reason, to see the power of God in it, to see that he came towards the people he loved and pulled them up. When he heard their cry, remember they were crying out in Egypt for deliverance? Again, not unlike the psalmist, right? He's crying out just like Israel was in Egypt. And he's looking back and saying, because God is saved there, I'm trusting him to save again. And so looking back to that event and just seeing God's power, his grace, his love, the, the signs and wonders, all of that in there, perfectly acceptable, basically to do what the psalmist did. Starting there is perfectly, it's, it's fine, it's good. But we can't stop there. And that's really important to understand when we read psalms like this because the Exodus comes up all over the psalms, really throughout the Old Testament, the prophets as well, this type of thing, looking back to that event but then also looking, looking forward. So we can't stop there. When we read a psalm like this from our Christian perspective, our New Testament perspective, kind of reading our experience as redeemed people by Jesus Christ back into the story, a lot like the New Testament authors do when they talk about this event in the New Testament, what we have to do is read, read our own deliverance experience into it, our own Exodus experience into it. We should do it. Again, in step with the New Testament authors, when they look at this event, they're basically saying there's an Exodus that came in the Old Testament that basically preceded a greater one and that is now pertains to Jesus Christ. And so in Luke 9, one of the places we see this come out pretty explicitly in Luke 9, 31, this is in Jesus' ministry before he dies on the cross. It's talking about the transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured or uh, into, a, uh, into a, a glorious uh, uh, figure before the, a couple of the disciples and he appeared with Moses and Elijah. It says, And behold, two men were talking with Jesus Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. The Greek word there for departure is literally exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what Luke 9 is saying is that Jesus is about to accomplish an exodus, and it's the same Greek word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the first exodus all over the place, actually all throughout the scripture um, in the Old Testament. He was about to accomplish an exodus for us at Jerusalem. What's the ultimate work that he did in Jerusalem? Died on the cross for our sins. That was an Exodus-type thing. So many say, and it was something that, um, but it was was a much greater one, a greater Exodus that freed the world from spiritual slavery now. This is how things progress from physical to spiritual realities a lot of times in the Scripture. You have a physical shadow and a spiritual fulfillment or reality. And so the second Exodus now is a much greater one, a spiritual one, one that didn't pertain to physical slavery to the Egyptians, but spiritual slavery to sin. An Exodus that the first Exodus anticipated And that the prophets in the Old Testament, which actually come after the Psalms here, the prophets anticipate. They talk about a new Exodus experience. It's going to come to the world. It's going to be for all people, not just Israel. And it's going to be spiritual. It's going to be cosmic in terms of how pertaining to all people. But it's going to be a spiritual one. A better type of deliverance that actually saves people from their true enemy, which is sin and death. And so many people say then that the... Bible is, among other things, a tale of two exoduses. And it is. They're right to say that. It's more than that. But one of the ways to understand how your Bible hangs together is that there are two exoduses in it. There's the first one pertaining to Israel and physical slavery in Egypt. Moses there is a deliverer figure. And there's a second one pertaining to the church and spiritual slavery to sin. And in the second, much better one, Jesus is the deliverer. The second Moses, you could say, like the author of Hebrews does in Hebrews 3. So Jesus fulfills then that second exodus and makes it better or completes it, is the goal of it, by dying on the cross for our sins. That's how he accomplishes that exodus for us. So this is that biblical theological connection that we have to make, and it's a really important one, much bigger than Psalm 77, a a really important one to have in mind when you read your Bibles as well, because 
not just the psalmist in 77 in a prophetic manner, but the New Testament does this all the time. And the prophets in the Old Testament look ahead this way. There is a, a, an ongoing connection, a regular connection the Bible makes between this first and second Exodus. And we've got to see that progression and revel in the fact, party in the fact, that we are a part of the second one, or at least that we can be, if we're not already. That we can actually come up out of the city of sin. No longer Egypt, but the city of death and sin. Jesus exoduses us in that regard. So, this is the connection then um, that the Bible makes. So as you go back to Psalm 77, the example or lesson or encouragement for the Christian in Psalm 77 is when we suffer deeply, and we all will. Some of you are today. Some of you will be soon. Some of you have. We all will. When you suffer deeply, when you feel the weight of sin, and you feel like there's absolutely no way out, you feel like you're under the thumb of it, when you feel distant from God in any way, like the psalmist, call to mind the gospel of Jesus Christ, the exodus he accomplished for you as one of his people. Call to mind that you're free from your sins. In Romans 6, and really in a lot of places in the book of Romans in the New Testament, Paul uses slave language to hearken us back to that first exodus because it's Old Testament imagery. The Israelites were enslaved and oppressed in Egypt, and he says, now you are slaves. The whole world is to sin, but you've been set free. Not unlike the Israelites from Egypt. Now you are set free from a much greater enemy. So remember that. Call it to mind. Meditate on it. Remember that you've been delivered up from the city of death and sin. Not unlike Israel, again, was delivered up from Egypt. That he loves you deeply. That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's what Psalm 77 does for us now in this greater fulfilled sense. Remembering the gospel. Remembering the second exodus. Do it. Remember it. Call it to mind. Appeal to it. This is why in the New Testament, we see the main call to remembrance centered on the death of Christ. Because it's the essence of our salvation. It's the locus of it in the New Testament. In Luke 22, 19 to 20, probably the best example of this. We're going to have communion today here in a little bit. Um, and I'll re-mention this. But in Luke 22, just hours before his death, Jesus at the, at the Last Supper says, or it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you looking ahead to his death, looking ahead just hours from then when his body would break on the cross and his blood would be poured, He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me and remember what my deed is for you on the cross. Remember what I, I'm doing something here. I'm accomplishing something. I'm working for you. I'm performing a deed. Marvel at it. Like the psalmist in Psalm 77 is marveling and pondering the works of God in the first exodus. This is a much better one. Remember it. Revel in it. And likewise, in verse 20, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, or new testament, same word, new testament, or new covenant, in my blood. So it's the death of Christ that enacts or establishes this new way of relating with God. It frees us from our sins. It brings us up, it exodus us out from something in a much greater way than Israel experienced in the Old Testament. So remember him, and not just a vague sense of him, but the death of Christ. Also in 2 Timothy 2.8, it says, remember Jesus Christ, written from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. The call now for the church is to remember Jesus and his resurrection and before that his death. And also in John 5, remember the psalmist talked a lot about the deeds, or that's just another way of saying work, the work of God. He's remembering that. In the New Testament, Jesus says, my Father, God, is working until now, and I am working. 
John picks us up probably more than the other three Gospels do in that Jesus is working. He's doing something. And there's a lot of creation language in here because at the very beginning in Genesis 1, God is working to create the world. And now you see that God is working again. He's recreating. He's doing something. He's performing deeds. He didn't just appear randomly to teach moralism, to teach religion. He's actually came into a specific purpose to die on the cross for our sins. And that's the ultimate deed. It's the ultimate work. That's the ultimate thing that he came to, to do for us. So that's what we're called to remember, that deed, the deed of the cross. It's a mark of being a child of God, mark of being a child of God. That's why we preach the gospel every week at Hiawatha Church and why we um, love churches that do it, why we teach that we should do that to ourselves on a regular basis. Remember the gospel and do it thoroughly because we're called to remember it thoroughly through and through. Remember the gospel. Remember the second exodus. Remember that you're not a slave to sin anymore. Remember it and remember the, think about the benefits of that for your life. It's a mark of being a person of God, Old and New Testament, looking backwards to when and where our salvation was accomplished and finding ongoing comfort and hope in it. So that's the example and the lesson and the encouragement for the Christian in Psalm 77 to basically do what the psalmist is doing, but in a much more fulfilled way. He's looking to an exodus, and we are, we are as well. It's just a more it's, it's the more fulfilled one. It's the one that the first one is pointing to. And so we basically do what he's doing um, just in a spiritual manner. And so in conclusion then, I think this is how the psalm preaches to us. Um, it essentially says, do what the psalmist is doing. Be a person of remembrance like him. And what I, what I love about this psalm is notice that, especially at the beginning, you start to see this come out as it progresses to the end, of course. But you see that even a vague sense of God, just that there is a God out there, is not enough to give comfort and solace. And especially when he's starting to remember to his own life and how things used to be pretty great in his own life, it's especially that that kind of leads him into despair, right? But even a vague sense of God isn't enough to comfort or provide hope. It's specifically in the psalm, the loving character of God, his imminence, his closeness, and what he has done in the world, his deeds. It's really important to get. I mean, a lot of us, and all of us do this at times, but a lot of Christians just have that sort of vague sense of there's a God out there, and I think I'll find comfort just knowing he's kind of there. And the Bible actually doesn't, gets much more specific than that, much more. It's saying it's not just that he's there, it's what he's done in the world. It's his deeds that gives the psalmist comfort, and it is that way for the Christian as well. Not just a vague sense of God that he's there, but that he's come into the world to die on a cross for our sins and exodus out of that former life. So, discipline yourself at getting really good at reading about and thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, our ultimate exodus in scripture. Talk through it. What I like about the psalmist here is he's essentially just preaching the gospel to himself. Pattern of that anyway, right? He's talking through, this is like three, four hundred years later, and he's saying, remember, he's like talking to himself, remember when God did that? When the waters were, were fearful at their creator and they had to part because God rebuked them and said, spread Remember that? Remember how you brought your people like a flock on dry land through, through the waters? He's remembering the whole event of deliverance from slavery, salvation, freedom, the love of God. He's like talking through, he's using all these words, all this beautiful poetic imagery, and it's encouraging him. You know, it's, it ends very abruptly. It ends with just this mention of, and you brought your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, the deliverer figures, and it just ends. It's like, you just got to a point where that's it. That's all I need. That's going to give me comfort more than anything else, and peace and solace more than anything else, remembering that God saves, and he did it in that particular way. So talk through the gospel, in the spirit of that, talk through the gospel. Preach it to yourself. 
Do you know the benefits of the gospel in your life? In an eternal sense, but right now. Who are you in Christ? Have you thought about that ever? (laughs) Has it been a while? Think about it. Who are you in Christ? What's the benefits of, of the gospel of grace for you presently? What happened on the cross? Have you thought about how much it cost God to send his son into the world to die, a perfect man on a cross, and to die the most horrible, horrific uh, death that's ever, that's ever been, ever been uh, experienced in history? I mean, we think about these things, and t- it takes time. It takes some effort. But that's what the psalmist is doing. He didn't just say, and I remember the Exodus, period. I remember the, the, the details of it, the components that went into it. I, I read about it. I, I've memorized portions of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm writing some of it down even poetically uh, to remember it. This, again, this would look like a Christian having a very cross-centered devotional life and talking through what the cross meant. Um, that's how we can really apply Psalm 77 very, very practically. That's gonna, and and whether, whether you're suffering or not, uh, I think it's a, this is especially appropriate for people, for us, when we're suffering very deeply uh, or even just... Uh, even in a very simple way, when we suffer, it's especially appropriate, but it's, it's also appropriate for people that aren't, who are in a very comfortable season, because we all need to do this. But whether you're suffering or not, look at these wonderful words again the psalm uses. Appeal. Appeal to the gospel. Ponder the cross. Remember God's grace. And use Psalm 77 to help. Or other passages. This is what I, what, another thing I love about this psalm is that it's very honest, and many of the Psalms do this in other portions of Scripture as well. It's very honest about pain. It's just saying, this is the human experience. We live in a very, very fallen world, and many of us, if not all of us, will suffer uh, in the same way that this psalmist is, or maybe more. This, psalm, this world is messed up, and we, and we are under our sin. It's corrupted, and it needs a Redeemer. And it's very honest about that. But notice that it doesn't necessarily say that the pain is going to go away right away either. There's nothing in this psalm about saying that, oh, and the pain was gone, right? The suffering was gone. It's all what he's thinking about that provides him the hope, right? It's all what he's thinking about right here that gives him that solace. It doesn't end by saying the pain was gone. It just says through the pain, through the suffering, and not unlike Israel, pass through the waters and go over it or under it or around it. They went through those waters Uh, through the pain, when you're in it, it gives us an answer. Through all of it, focus on the deeds of God, which from a greater biblical theological perspective, again, is is ultimately what all of Scripture is oriented towards is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's it's a great reminder, and one thing just practically, too, on a very um, personal basis for our church, one of the things I wanted to do in starting the year with a psalm like this is to remind us it's so sort of a visioning sermon in one way as well. Some of you are new to the church and maybe don't know this or, um, or are brand new to the Bible even. One of the things that we want to do as a church communally, but also want to encourage you guys individually, re-encourage myself, is to be that person of remembrance, but with a specific bent to it. Remember the gospel all your days. Do it when you gather and do it when you scatter out, uh, when, you're not, when you're not gathered with the church on a Sunday. Do it with your small groups, do it with your families, be a person of remembrance that will mark you as a child of God. You are not under law anymore. This is your law. This is, this is the new thing for you to do as a Christian. You're not under the Ten Commandments. You're not under laws to mediate you to God. You're under the fact that God has come to you and rescued you. And, and the scriptures say just remember it and live by faith. Believe it. Believe it and ponder it and meditate on it and appeal to it.
when you suffer or when you're in a season of comfort. That's the mark of a biblical Christian. Uh, so fresh encouragement for you guys to do that alone with your families and as we head into 2012 uh, as a church uh, to do that uh, as a community as well over and over and over again. So that said, let me pray. God, thank you, Lord, for your grace today in the gospel of Christ. Thank you for Psalm 77, which reminds us that it's everything in Scripture. Uh, the example of the psalmist itself reminds us that, uh, God, we are called to remember and appeal to the goodness of God, his, your, your love, Lord, your faithfulness, that you will never leave us or forsake us, um, that you have sent your Son into the world because you love us to die on the cross for our sins. God, may we be people that just, uh, that just breathe that, and may it be expressed in all that we do in word and deed as a community and as a people individually. Uh, thank you, God, for your mighty, mighty deeds. Like the psalmist says, praise God for his mighty deeds. We praise you for your mighty deed of the cross, redemption, freedom, salvation, hope of eternal life, God. You've done that for us, and it's real. Not just a cute little connection you can make in Scripture between two exoduses, but it's really, really happening. There are really a people in this world coming up out of sin and death. And we praise you that, um, that if we believe today, those of us who believe in the gospel here today, that's true. It's really true. Um, God, may that impact us and change our life and give us hope when there seems to be no hope in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, we are going to go into a time of...